podcasting from Houston, Texas, I am your host, James McCabe, a member of the Racial Geography Project, a research collective that investigates histories of racism and racialization registered in Rice University's land, buildings, and monuments. This is an initiative of the university's Task Force on Slavery, Segregation, and Racial Injustice. This episode, titled The Unveiling of the William Marsh Rice Memorial, June 8, 1930, will spotlight the three speeches given at the unveiling ceremony, questioning the speaker's uncritical portrayal of William Marsh Rice as the benevolent founder of Rice University. After years of planning, the white cloth covering the memorial of William Marsh Rice came down on Sunday, June 8, 1930, around 8.30 a.m., 18 years after the inauguration of the Rice Institute and about 30 years after Rice's death. As part of the unveiling ceremony held before the baccalaureate services for the 15th commencement ceremony, prominent figures at the school such as President Edgar Odell Lovett, Secretary-Treasurer of the Board and nephew of the founder, Benjamin Botts Rice, and Supervising Architect Ralph Adams Cram gave speeches paying tribute to the school's founder and to the monument itself, which became the repository for Rice's ashes placed on the pedestal weeks before. The festivities had an air of reverence. Beginning the event, President Lovett narrated the history of the statue's creation and described the memorial as having qualities of nobility, dignity, and simplicity, which, according to the speaker, are attributes representative of the late founder's spirit. He speaks to the way the sculpture represents Rice as a scholar who offers the viewer an open book in his right hand, perhaps Rice Institute's charter, while revealing the plan for Rice Institute in his left. Though tall, the granite pedestal is mostly plain with the additions of the crest of the Rice Institute, of the state of Rice's birth, Massachusetts, of the state of Texas, and of the United States, ornamenting each of the four sides. Interestingly, Lovett describes the memorial as, quote, recovering the features of the founder, and the spirit of the man for a portrait in bronze representative at once of the period in which Mr. Rice attained his maturity and of his person in the prime of his powers, unquote. In other words, Lovett imagines the statue as representative of the founder during the time he made his fortune in the con industry and his entanglements in slavery. The virtues of nobility, Dignity and simplicity were also emphasized in Botts Rice's speech entitled The Founder, written by his brother, William Marsh Rice Jr., introducing William Marsh Rice as, quote, of old colonial stock, unquote, given his grandfather's role in one of the Revolutionary War's first battles, Rice's nephew extolled his deceased uncle as, quote, a man of high ideals, charitable without ostentation, appreciative of the wonderful possibilities in a rapidly growing country and always adding to his store of knowledge, unquote. His nephew portrays him as a caring benefactor 
whose hard work laid the basis for the school, emphasizing that he, quote, lived a useful life, fought a good fight, and dying left the fruits of his labor for the young women and young men who are to be the beneficiaries of Rice Institute for all time, unquote. Such remarks, especially from one of Rice's family members, cement the project of the memorial and its subsequent unveiling ceremony as aiming to construct the founder as charitable and philanthropic. Rice Jr. emphasizes how the students gathered for the baccalaureate services were the heirs to the founder's goodwill. Yet one may ask, what race of students were intended to benefit from the Institute's creation according to its original charter? The final speech, given by the Institute's architect, Ralph Adams Cram, praises British artist John Angel for his ability to, quote, put into visible form the high ideal of William Marsh Rice. Here in this counterfeit presentiment is that supreme personification of the man himself, end quote. Echoing the previous speakers, Cram explains that the memorial is, quote, a most noble presentation of its founder, as well as a noble demonstration of sculptural art that can well serve as a model and an inspiration for the future, unquote. From Cram's vision of the sculpture, its presence on Rice's campus acts as a deferential nod to the Institute's founder and an impressive artwork that will bring greatness to the school. Perhaps in this sentimental moment, Cram also reflected on his and Angel's celebrated work at Princeton University, the very institution Lovett idealized as he envisioned Rice. Each speaker contributed to the mythology of the founder, building upon the powerful and monumental image of Rice created by John Angel. The sculpture works as an embodiment of what the Rice Institute trustees and architect wanted the audience to believe the founder stood for during his lifetime, an entrepreneur and learned scholar who is gifting his wealth and knowledge to future generations. However, the source of William Marsh Rice's fortune went unspoken and unrepresented. What does this mean for the individuals Rice enslaved? especially when taking into account that he explicitly wrote in his school's charter that it would only serve the white inhabitants of the city of Houston. Indeed, the three speakers' claims are reserved for a specific population of the city, rather than the community as a whole. While President Lovett imagines the Latin inscription carved into the front of the memorial's pedestal, which translates to Hail Forever and Forever Hail as a, quote, perennial greeting from Mr. Rice to us, and from us to him, unquote, the viewer might ask themselves who Rice's memorial and, by extension, his university actually addressed on that day in 1930. Put the good book down. Put the good book down. down and I'll set you free. Thank you for listening to the Rice University Racial Geography Podcast. New episodes are coming soon. Thank you to the scholars and researchers that have been helping us with our work. 
We are grateful for support from the Rice University Humanities Research Center and the university's Race and Anti-Racism Research Fund. To find out more about the project, you can go to our Instagram at Racial Geography Project. This is an original podcast series made by the Racial Geography Project, a research collaborative led by Fabiola Lopez Duran and Adrian Rooney. It features New Freedom Remix, an original sound composition and performance by Lisa E. Harris.